Welcome to the 192nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look back at Super Bowl 57, and our weekly look back at NBA and college basketball action. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start with Super Bowl 57. Patrick went 0-1 with that prediction. In the NBA, Patrick went 4-0. And in NCAA basketball, Patrick also went 4-0 with his weekend predictions. That means he went a combined 8-1, bringing him to a 664 and 426 overall record, a 60.9% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I thought I did very well. I thought that the Eagles even could have made it a 9-0 week for me, but just came up short there with the uh, loss of the Chiefs as everybody knows by now. I mean, I don't think there's anybody who listens to this podcast who didn't watch the Super Bowl. Um, but in the other games, while everything else was going on, uh, the Mavericks beat the Kings 122 to 114. That was actually the first of two games that they played against each other. And uh, oddly enough, I guess you could say, um, Luka Doncic didn't play the first one and the Mavericks won, but then he did play in the second one and the Mavericks lost to the Kings. Um, but Kyrie Irving was able to lead the Mavericks to the win in the first game. Um, and then the 76ers beat the Knicks 119-108. to 108. The Bucks beat the Clippers on the road 119-106, to 106, despite it being the second night of a back-to-back for them. Um, and then the Celtics beat the Grizzlies 119-109. to 109. Got all of those correct, so very happy about that. Um, and then in college basketball, number 23, Creighton beat number 21, UConn 56-53. to 53. I think Creighton has now won eight games in a row. Uh, if I'm not wrong, and all those games being Big East games, so very important. Illinois beat number 24, Rutgers 69 to 60. They went on, I believe, an 18-0 run or 19-0 run. At some point, they were down by six, I think, and went up by 13, I believe, is how is what happened. Um, and then they just controlled the game for the rest of it. Um, from there, uh, number five, Texas beat West Virginia 94 to 60. That game was supposed to be a lot closer than it ended up being. West Virginia gets another chance to uh Prove themselves a little bit tonight against Baylor. So we'll see if they can make that one a little bit of a closer game and not get swept in the state of Texas losing twice by 30 plus. I don't think it'll happen, but we'll see. Um, and then speaking of Baylor, number 14, Baylor went on the road and beat number 17, TCU, 70 to 72 to 68. Baylor was losing by 10 um, with not that long left in this game. I believe eight or nine minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Um, and they were able to come back and take the lead and then keep the lead and win the game uh, against TCU in the end. So overall, a really good week for me. Pretty happy with my predictions. All right. Well, let's see if you do that well in your predictions for next week. Uh, nine and one's pretty tough to beat. Uh, those predictions will be posted on our website on Thursday, 4thand24.com. As always, let's do a quick re- review of Super Bowl 57, which, as you said, I'm sure everybody who listens to this podcast was watching. Yeah, I mean, this game was one of the better Super Bowls that I have been alive for, but it kind of didn't feel that way by the end just because it ended in such a very odd um, regular season-esque game management type of situation. I mean, I guess, you know, not every Super Bowl can end on, you know, a Malcolm Butler play or something like that or, or, you know, a game-winning field goal, whatever. Um, although technically this did end on the game-winning field goal. Um, But, you know, it it was a slow ending after the Eagles had 
gone out to a big lead. They were up 24 to 14 at the half. Uh, they became the second team to lose with a double digit halftime lead uh, in the Super Bowl, which is very, very surprising. Um, obviously, the other one is the Falcons with the infamous 28 to three lead over the Patriots that they eventually lost. Um, but look, Jalen Hurts, he played great in this game, but one mistake that really, I mean, that fumble just kind of scrambling around uh, and not really forced by anybody, but that fumble actually came back to bite the Eagles really, really hard. Um, in the end, the Chiefs just had enough offense to get themselves over the edge and go at the end of the game and be able to just ice the game down with a few kneel downs and then a game-winning field goal and the Eagles' Hail Mary didn't even have a chance of getting to the end zone. Um, I know I texted you during the game and talked about the fact that the Chiefs had the ball with five and a half minutes left, I think, is when that drive started, or maybe 5.50 left on the clock for their final drive. And I said it would be unfair if this game ended, uh, such a good game, if such a good game ended, I should say, with only the Chiefs getting the ball back and the Eagles not getting it another time. And I said, if anything, this game should go to overtime and both teams should get a possession. But in the end, the Chiefs just realized their advantage. They took as much time as possible off the clock and they were able to bleed the clock down and just kick the game winning field goal with basically no time left. Yeah. Um, interesting. There were some, you said a few key plays, obviously that fumble was key. The punt return was key. Um, some interesting stats that I don't know. Everybody maybe waking up today didn't realize because they probably watched the game. Patrick Mahomes run uh, that scrambled to key that last drive. 26 yard run was the longest run by any quarterback in Super Bowl history. A little crazy. Um, I don't know if you knew that Patrick. Um, the other thing is the fact that the Chiefs were able to score 38 points in like 23 minutes of time of position possessions, a little, uh, a, a little crazy. And then one other little tidbit here, um, you know, so teams are now being coached smart enough to uh, not score a touchdown at the end of the game, right? McKinnon slid down, stayed in bounds, et cetera. Uh, the defense was coached to let the guy run. I think defenses might need to be, start to be coached to grab the guy and throw him into the end zone. So uh, <laughs> let's see if that strategy starts playing out on defense, but really obviously the game turned on. It was a fantastic game, um, really enjoyable, uh, but a little anticlimactic at the end, like you're saying. Any further thoughts about the Super Bowl? Don't have any. All right. Well, then let's move to our weekly recap of basketball action. And as always, um, we start in the NBA uh, this week again. Before we talk about teams, let's talk about the crazy trade deadline. Well, we had the Kyrie trade last week, but after that trade, the Nets continued to uh, be sellers at the deadline for the first time in a while. Uh, Kevin Durant was traded to Phoenix with TJ Warren and Darius Baisley as well uh, for Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, four first round picks and one pick swap, a first round pick swap. Uh, it also became a 14 deal eventually with the Suns also sending Jay Crowder to Milwaukee and Milwaukee sending two second rounders to Phoenix and Serge Ibaka, George Hill and Jordan Wara, along with cash and three second round picks to the fourth team in the deal. Um, but, you know, the important part here is Kevin Durant. I mean, that there's, I have no words for the Nets. Uh, you know, a lot of people are now calling KD, Kyrie, and Harden an error instead of an era because they only played 20 games together or didn't even play 20 games together. Um, and then that was it. It's a very, very interesting age in the NBA, the super team age is. Um, and, you know, a lot of people think that LeBron kind of started this whole thing with the the decision and everything and going to the heat. But I, I can just say that um, 
LeBron leaving to join the Heat and free agency with D Wade already there and Chris Bosch also joining via free agency was nothing like what what is going on right now with uh you know the Nets trading for really all of these players. I mean, Kevin Durant obviously was uh, I guess Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I guess technically Kevin Durant was a sign and trade, however many years ago that was. Um, and then he was injured. And then, you know, Kyrie, though, that was a trade from Boston and, and and then a signing and then a non-signing of an extension. And then Kevin Durant signed his extension with the Nets because Kyrie made the commitment to come back all of a sudden in the offseason after wanting to be traded. But Harden was already gone for Ben Simmons. I mean, there are just so many things that went wrong in this kind of Nets uh, situation. And in the end, Phoenix gets better. Um, maybe this is what they need to push them over the edge. Some people argue they now just have no depth. I still think they have enough depth, so I don't really think that's going to be their issue. Um, but I, I don't. I, I do think that the, the presence that they lose on defense from losing Mikel Bridges is a pretty big deal, um, especially because he did a great job covering for some of the deficiencies that playing a big man that's a little bit outdated of a style with DeAndre Ayton kind of has um, inherently. So I, I think his job covering that up is is very, very important, and I don't know how the Suns are going to fill that without him. Um, but we'll see what happens with that. Uh, moving on to other trades, uh, a minor trade. Jakob Pertl was traded to the Raptors for Kem Birch, a first-round pick and two second-round picks. And then let's go back to the big trades. The Lakers traded for D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, going to the Timberwolves in this trade was Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Uh, a second-round pick swap, a second-round pick, and another second-round pick. Uh, the, the picks via the Jazz, the pick swap via, via the Lakers. And then the Jazz also received Russell Westbrook, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Damian Jones, and a 2027 first-round pick via the Lakers. I have more comments on the Jazz in this trade later. Um, but... For now, look, the Lakers are just trying to rework things. I mean, I don't necessarily think that they are, are getting um, decidedly better by the trades that they ended up making, but it's really just changing the look and makeup of the team in a hope that just a different style of, of player in general, like not even just in Russell Westbrook's case, but even with Malik Beasley kind of taking the minutes of Juan Toscano-Anderson. I mean, just all of it is just trying to kind of rework uh, something that's not working um, because obviously they're not going to trade LeBron or AD. Um, that's just not going to happen. So they're trying to rework as much as they can around them and see kind of what different flexibility and different play styles around them will end up doing. Um, they needed some shooters. They got some good shooters. D'Angelo Russell obviously uh, is a little bit of a more, let's say gifted shooter than Russell Westbrook at this point in his career. Uh, Malik Beasley, same thing. And Jared Vanderbilt's actually a pretty good shooter for his size and his normal role. Uh, the Lakers also later in the week, uh, as we will eventually, as as happened, traded away Thomas Bryant and Patrick Beverly. Um, they got Mo Bamba, D Devon Reed, and a second round pick. And the Clippers in this trade got Bones Highland from the Nuggets, who got Thomas Bryant from the Lakers. And the Clippers gave away uh, just, I believe, the second round pick um, and then the Clippers uh, and then, sorry, the magic got Patrick Beverly, a 2024 second round pick from Denver and cash considerations from uh, the Clippers, but very, very interesting trade here as well. A lot of 14 trades, a lot of three team trades, very confusing. I don't know who's going 
to who who's going where. The, the summary of all this is that the trade deadline was crazy this year, um, but it, it's going to be very hard to keep track of who's playing for who by the end of the season uh, if it already wasn't hard enough. Um, and then also, speaking of four-team trades, you have the Pistons getting James Wiseman from the Warriors for Gary Payton, who came over from the Trailblazers, um, and three conditional second-round picks for the Warriors, and the Hawks got Sadiq Bay in this trade, and the Blazers got Kevin Knox and five future second-round picks. This was a very interesting trade. Really, a lot of players that um, just don't have that much of a role on their current teams or, or had a role, but maybe their teams are kind of looking in other directions, trying to fill a, have young players fill uh, a different spot as a young player. I don't really understand the rationale behind any of this other than the Warriors getting Gary Payton back uh, after letting him go in free agency. Although there was something interesting with this deal because there was something with Gary Payton being injured and that being covered up and kind of a Carlos Correa-esque uh, physical situation going on there. Uh, but eventually the Warriors were able to complete the trade and it became official last night. Woj was hard at work tweeting during the Super Bowl, of course, about conditional trades with the Warriors, which is kind of funny, but Woj doesn't stop going. Um, and also then you have the Pelicans who received Josh Richardson. The Spurs received Devontae Graham and four second round picks. So the Pelicans adding some a, a typical, prototypical, I should say, 3 and D wing there. Uh, Josh Richardson has played that role on many, many contending teams before, especially the 76ers, and we will see if he's able to do it again with the Pelicans. The Pelicans just kind of reloading because they don't really have that many holes in their roster, but with how their season's been kind of going downwards recently, they kind of had to change something. Um, so this is the change that they're making, and we'll see if it works out. Uh, then you have the Celtics who received Mike Muscala from the Thunder, for Justin Jackson and two future second round picks. Muscala was playing against the Grizzlies, uh, helped the Celtics to that win uh, in that game. But look, I, I think, again, this is another situation where you just have players that are just trading role players for role players. And uh, you, you just kind of have to see what goes on with that. I don't know how that's going to play out. And I don't know what's going to uh happen with the Celtics in the future because of that. But I do believe that the Celtics will um, continue to be a contending team. I don't really think this changes their team at all. And uh, if they believe Mike Muscala can help. They probably, he probably can. Um, then you have the Clippers who were in a three-team trade. Uh, after the other four-team trade, they got Eric Gordon in this one with also three second-round picks. The Rockets got John Wall, Danny Green, and a pick swap from the Clippers. And the Grizzlies got Luke Bernard. Uh, then you have the 76ers who got Jalen McDaniels uh, and two second round picks in a four team trade that also included Svi McCulloch going to the Hornets with two second round picks as well. The Trailblazers receiving Cam Radish, Matisse Thibel, Ryan Archidiakono, and a first round pick from New York. And the Knicks receiving Josh Hart, who was the original uh, kind of centerpiece of this trade. Uh, so this was also a really interesting trade that went down. I mean, a lot of four-team trades, a lot of three-team trades. Hard to keep track of where anybody is, as I already said. Um, the NBA is just, I mean, this trade deadline was one of the crazier ones in memory with with the fact that, I mean, it started off with Kyrie, obviously, and that was a big deal. But when you consider the fact that Kyrie and KD were traded, if those didn't happen, this would already be considered a crazy trade deadline with Russ on the move and uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell, even even a trade with 
with Bones Highland and Pat Beverly and Patrick Beverly, all that stuff would seem insane. But when you put in the fact that KD and Kyrie were traded, it kind of took away from it. But still, this trade deadline was crazy. And finally, I will talk about the last one. Speaking of other players that are important, the Clippers received Mason Plumley uh, for Reggie Jackson and a second round pick from the Hornets. Although Reggie Jackson is supposedly going to be bought out by the Hornets. Um, and we will see where he signs from there. Uh, speaking of being bought out, Danny Green, I should mention, who was uh, traded to the Rockets, is actually being bought out and is signing with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that has already been reported. And it's also ironic that John Wall has to go back to Houston after making several comments about uh, how that franchise didn't necessarily treat him well and how he didn't really like his time there. Well, now he's back there again. All right. Well, after that exhaustive list of trade deadline moves, Let's go to a shorter list of your three most impressive teams of the last week in the NBA. I will start with the Milwaukee Bucks, who went 3-0 and this week. Uh, they beat the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Trailblazers. The Bucks have now won 10 games in a row, yet they are still only in second place in the East. Uh, they have a chance to win extend their winning streak to 11 games in a really big matchup against the Celtics on Tuesday night. And also, like the acquisition of Jay Crowder uh, that they made there, I think the Bucks are really really going for it this year as they should. And I really think there are a lot of teams who are in contention. There is no clear favorite right now, but all of the teams who have been kind of in play the last few years, you have the Bucks, you have the Celtics, um, you have the Warriors who obviously are the defending champions. There are a lot of teams who have just, they have enough firepower to win it all, but it's really, you don't really know who's going to put it together yet. Um, Philadelphia is also kind of in that mix too. And Denver, obviously in the West and the West is also just looking like, um, a mess. I mean, Jaw thinks that Memphis is fine in the West, but I don't think they're fine in the West. I don't think they're making it out of the West. And then you have, you know, the upstart teams like the Kings going in there in the West and getting work done. So, I mean, the one constant in all of this, then getting back on task here, is the Bucks. The Bucks have been, the Bucks won their title and they have stayed consistent since then. Um, they will be a contender this year and they continue to play well. And these other two teams that I'm about to mention have also been contenders throughout this kind of recent era here uh, in the NBA. And the Celtics, obviously, last year came off a finals, coming off a finals appearance. Um, they went 4-0 this week. They beat Memphis, Charlotte, Philly, and Detroit. They have survived the onslaught from the Bucs and remain in first in the East. Uh, they added Mike Muscala at the deadline, but this team doesn't really need any significant help for the end of the season, to be quite honest. Uh, they are truly a juggernaut getting Robert Williams back into the fold has been really helpful for them, but he, now he's been playing for long enough that can't really begin to mention, can't really continue to mention that uh, anymore. They don't have any real excuses. They just have to keep playing and play well. Um, and I think they are going to continue to do that. I'm not going to say immediately that they're going to win the finals. I'm not going to go out on that limb just yet, but they are definitely in prime position to at least get back there again, but it'll be, I really want to see them play a hard fought seven, seven game series against the Bucks. Um, in the in the conference finals, I think that would be amazing. I think it would be a great series to watch. Um, but I I I mean, look, hey, I'm talking about the playoffs, even though there's a lot of time left. But when you think about it, football season's over, man. This is it's basketball season now. Both it, we're a, we're a month away from March Madness. I mean, literally a month from yesterday, we will have a bracket for that. Um, and then you have the NBA playoffs. So I guess we have to talk about playoffs, right? Even though it doesn't seem like they're that close, they really are that close. Um, of course, there's also the start of baseball season too, so, soon as well. Um, but 
Speaking of baseball season, baseball season brings the heat. Oh my God, that's a horrible pun. I don't know why I said that, but the heat are my third team. Um, They beat Orlando, Houston, and Indiana this week. I also said Indiana, but this time I said it right. Uh, The heat are finally starting to play up to their preseason expectations. and They are sitting comfortably in in the sixth seed in the East and should eventually overtake the Nets with their, uh, let's say, downgraded roster for at least the five seed, but they will still be behind the fourth seeded Cavs who have won six in a row, but barely missed out on the most impressive teams list for this week because of a pretty light schedule. All right, let's flip over to your uh, three least impressive teams of the week. This time I'll actually stay on topic with basketball, but the Nets are one three, went one and three this week. They only beat Chicago, uh, who also went one and three this week. Um, they beat Philadelphia, sorry, they lost to Philadelphia, Phoenix, and the Lakers, uh, or sorry, the Clippers. Uh, the play on the court might not be as disappointing as what this team did off the court, though. Uh, Cam Thomas showed superstar flashes throughout the week, but unfortunately, no offense to these players that I'm about to mention, but instead of playing with KD and Kyrie, he'll be playing with Dorian Finney-Smith, Mikael Bridges, and Cam Johnson. Not exactly, um, and Ben Simmons, too. I might as well throw him into the mix. Um, you know, not a big three anymore. Um, and not. It, it, I said it already. The Nets have, have a severely downgraded roster. They're not going to be contending anymore. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them in the play-in bracket or in the playoffs in general, because if they're somehow able to kind of stay afloat, you know, I think they could honestly go 500 for the rest of the season and could still stay with the sixth seed. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the advantage they've built over the Knicks already is enough that they can't um, be displaced and get put into the play-in bracket. It would be very, very interesting to see what happens with them in a series against one of the top three teams in the East um, with that roster. It's really, there is no star on that roster and it's kind of a very odd team that's going to probably still make the playoffs just because again, they have such a head start on everybody else. Um, But again, moving on from that, the Pacers went 0-3 this week. They did not have a head start on anybody else. Maybe they did before Tyrese Halliburton's injury, but now even though he's been back, they still haven't been playing well. Uh, They lost to Washington, Phoenix, and Miami. They were once in a great position to make the play in bracket. Now they sit two games back from the 10th seed. I mean, there was also a point in the year where they could have made the regular playoffs without making the play in bracket, but now they're going to have to uh, scratch and claw to get into the play in in the first place. Then you have the Jazz, who went one and three this week, lost to the Knicks, Minnesota, and Dallas. They beat Toronto, but they continue to fall behind in a Western Conference race that just keeps getting tighter. They also helped the Lakers get better this week in a trade and then potentially are going to buy out the best piece uh, in that the Lakers traded to the Jazz in that deal, which is really weird because the Jazz are actually ahead of the Lakers in the standings, and yet they are tanking while the Lakers are trying to get better by some role-player acquisitions. I, I don't understand it from the Jazz. I, I actually do understand it. The Jazz thought they were going to be maybe even number one pick territory at the beginning of the year. Um, and, you know, now they're really just not, but I, I do actually think they, I think they are making the right decision. I should say that I, I do think the jazz are making the right decision and not trying to go after a barely making the playoffs kind of a scenario and, you know, falling out in the play in bracket, but then getting a bad pick because of it, it doesn't make any sense for them, uh, from an organizational standpoint, they don't have anybody signed long-term who I, I think they think is a generational superstar because they had to trade away Donovan Mitchell. Well, they didn't have to, but they traded away Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Um, so th- this is definitely the right move, but it's still odd to see considering that they are ahead of the team that's that they're trading with and that team is trying to get better while they're trying to get worse. It's kind of ironic. 
Let's move over to your player of the week. My player of the week this week was Joel Embiid. He averaged 33.3 points, 10.3 rebounds, and three assists, as well as 1.7 steals per game this week uh, for Philly. Continues to put himself at the forefront of the MVP discussion along with Nikola Jokic. We will see what happens with that. Uh, but for now, Joel Embiid continues to play well for the Sixers. That wraps up our weekly look at NBA action. Let's shift, ge- let shift gears and go to college basketball action. Starting with the close games, uh, number eight, Kansas beat number five, Texas, 88-80. to 80. At the very beginning of the week on a big Monday matchup, I've watched both of these teams about a thousand times this year. Uh, now getting sick of it. Sorry, no offense to them, but probably won't be watching too much of them as I shift my focus to other teams in the rest of the season, make sure I'm getting enough eye test for everybody in my bracketology. Uh, number 18, Indiana beat number 24, Rutgers 66 to 60, an expected loss for Rutgers, but Indiana able to, um, you know, get the win and move on to later in the week where they had a rough road game against Michigan that they were also able to pull out eventually. Sorry for spoiling that one, but we'll talk about it in a, in a little bit. Um, West Virginia beat number 11, Iowa state 76 to 71 uh, West Virginia playing well recently, able to pull off this upset, not really technically an upset because they were favored in the game, but Iowa and Iowa state is a team that has played amazing at home, but really bad on the road to be quite honest for a top 15 team, at least. Uh, by that standard, definitely. Uh, but then you have number 25, San Diego State, who beat Utah State 63-61. to 61. This was a close, fun game. San Diego State continues to win games. Uh, the only team in a really good Mountain West Conference that has kind of put itself in a lock um, in terms of making the NCAA tournament. The other teams kind of starting to struggle at the wrong time. Then you have number three, Alabama, who went on the road and beat, beat Auburn 77-69. to 69. This was supposed to be probably the biggest matchup of Alabama's season, but didn't end up being that way uh, as Auburn has kind of fallen off a little bit here recently. And uh, Alabama still remains undefeated in SEC play, which is crazy. Uh, they still do play Tennessee twice, but now Tennessee is kind of in a slump themselves. Uh, number 23, Creighton beat twenty number 21, UConn. I talked about that already. I also talked about Illinois beating Rutgers already. Um, so I'll go to Virginia, the number eight team in the country, beating Duke 69 to 62 in overtime. But this game shouldn't have won or have been in overtime because the referee correctly made a call that Duke uh, got fouled while going to the basket with one second left. The play started with one second left, I should say. Um, but Kyle Filipowski was fouled with 0.2 seconds left. The ref called the foul. The buzzer sounded. And when they went to the replay, they just decided that the foul was after the clock, even though both the whistle and the actual foul occurred before the whistle ended. Um most people probably don't care because they're okay with Duke getting screwed over. But to be honest, that was a really bad way to end that game. And that's season changing for Duke because well, it might not be season changing, but that is a win that they could have picked up. That would have been a very, very quality win would have gone a long way towards making them an easy lock for the NCAA tournament. I don't think they're on the bubble at all, but they're getting closer to it. And if they end up on the bubble, this game is going to be one of the reasons why they have to sweat it out on selection Sunday as opposed to having a more relaxed day there because uh, it shouldn't have been an overtime at all. And Virginia wouldn't have had the opportunity to get a seven point win in overtime. Instead, it would have been Duke shooting two free throws to win the game from a free throw shooter, who I believe is around 75 ish percent. So should have been uh, easy for them. Then Baylor beat TCU. We talked about that one. Uh, number 19, Miami beat Louisville 93 to 85. Doesn't look good for your metrics when 
you can only beat Louisville by eight points. Uh, Miami needs to kind of improve their peripheral metrics because the only thing that's in their favor is the eye test and semi-high preseason expectations um, and their record because the ACC isn't good um, this year. The Mountain West is frankly a better conference than the ACC. As crazy as that sounds, it's actually probably true. Um, there are a lot of stats that believe that too. I believe Ken Palm has a conference power rankings and it does have Mount, the Mountain West out of the ACC. But when you play these bad teams, you have to beat up on them. It doesn't look good on your resume to only win by eight. And that's what Miami did against Louisville, who is by far the worst team uh, in the ACC. One of the worst in all of college basketball. Then you have number 18, Indiana, beating Michigan 62 to 61. Speaking of missed opportunities, Michigan probably could have put itself in the tournament field, maybe not that far, but at least back on the first four outline and securely on the bubble if they were able to muster up more than one point in their final five minutes. But instead, they got zero. Uh, we're up 61 to 58 with 512 or 519 left and ended up losing that game uh, by one. But Indiana, meanwhile, just continues to roll on the Big Ten now looking like the Indiana we thought we were going to see preseason and even has a chance to maybe get first place in the conference. I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think Purdue will slip up enough times in the rest of the season, but they definitely will probably get second place um, in the Big Ten, and then we'll see what happens in the Big Ten tournament. Then you have number seven, UCLA, who beat Oregon 70-63, to a quality road win for UCLA over an Oregon team that has kind of rounded into form but is still on the bubble and still has some work to do to get into the tournament. And then number 16, Gonzaga beat BYU 88 to 81 in what will be those teams' final matchups in the West Coast Conference as BYU moves on to the Big 12 next year. All right, what about some upsets from last week in college basketball? Well, there were a lot of upsets this week. I think actually more upsets than close games for the first time in a very long time. Vanderbilt beat number six, Tennessee, 66 to 65. Tennessee didn't, Tennessee's bad week didn't stop there, as we'll talk about in a second. They lost two games by a total of two points but to two teams that aren't very good um well Vanderbilt isn't very good but Vandy getting a last second shot to take down Tennessee uh, a crazy game and a crazy result for them then you have Loyola Marymount who beat number 15 St. Mary's 78 to 74 Loyola Marymount beat BYU St. Mary's and Gonzaga this season I think they're the first team to ever do that when those teams are a member uh, of the West Coast Conference they might actually be the only team to do that ever um, and it's funny that it's happening in the season where BYU is leaving to the Big 12. And even with some chatter about Gonzaga maybe leaving um, the the WCC, I, I mean, that chatter has kind of calmed down during the season, but that was a topic of interest in the offseason. But Loyola Marymount, unfortunately, have, have lost some other games they probably shouldn't have um, and still have some work to be a tournament team. But if they were to run the table for the rest of the year, they might actually have a chance at a net large bid, if they're able to get also one more upset in Vegas at the WCC tournament, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that team, though. Uh, but for now, they can relish in their wins over Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Uh, then you have Butler, who beat number 13, Xavier, 69 to 67. Can't say I was watching this game, but for Xavier, this was an opportunity to keep a good season going and beat one of the bottom tier teams in the Big East, but they weren't able to do that. Uh, St. John's beat number 20, Providence, 73 to 68. Maybe perhaps not a not this is definitely more of a team upset when you compare the rest of the ones that we're going to go through uh, in the rest of this. But at the same time, not a game that they, that Providence should be losing. Uh, then you have Missouri who beat number six Tennessee eighty six to eighty five. 
Missouri won, won this game off of an ha- off of a half court shot um, for three to win the game by one after Tennessee missed a free throw and committed a lane violation on the second free throw of a free throw trip. So Tennessee really just choked this game, uh, also choked against Vanderbilt, and and they just shouldn't be this close against these types of teams as a top ten team. That's just not. It's not about actually losing the game. It's about the fact that they were even in position in the first place to have a chance to lose the game. Uh, Then you have Oklahoma State, who beat number 11 Iowa State on the road at Hilton, which is crazy, at at Hilton Coliseum, uh, because Iowa State really does not lose at home. And if anything, this loss is a pretty bad sign for Iowa State because they already suffered a loss to Texas Tech last week, who was previously winless in conference on the road, and then also lost to West Virginia earlier in the week um, on the road. So to take a home loss as well, it's not looking good for Iowa State. They're still going to be a pretty high seed in the tournament. This doesn't affect them yet. They're not going to miss the tournament because of this. But they should be uh, they should be looking out for ways to get better as the season comes to a close because they don't have very much time to get things right, and they need to get things right. Um, then you have Texas Tech, who beat number 12 Kansas State, 71-63. A good win by Texas Tech. Uh, over a quality Kansas State team. But Texas Tech starting to round into form now, two straight wins at home over ranked Big 12 opponents. Then Stanford beat number four Arizona, 88 to 79. Yes, I was surprised to say Stanford beat Arizona because I, I don't think anybody saw this coming. Just like nobody saw Georgia beating Kentucky, 75 to 68, as Kentucky squandered an opportunity where uh, there was basically a weekend. I mean, we're about to talk about two more of these teams where pretty much every team on the bubble just lost. Uh, Michigan lost. Uh, I'm going to get to three more, so I'm not going to say them yet. But they had an opportunity to move up the bubble, um, really get themselves off of it entirely, p- potentially. But instead, they take this home this loss on the road against Georgia, um, not able to take advantage of Nebraska beating Wisconsin 73 to 63 in overtime, or Oregon State beating USC 61 to 58. Both of those upsets, devastating losses for teams on the bubble. Um, just these are the games that bubble teams cannot afford to lose. They can lose. I mean, we we talk about the margin for error. I'm saying that Michigan can't afford that loss against Indiana. You really can't afford a loss against Oregon State if you're USC or against Nebraska if you're Wisconsin. I mean, those are the worst losses you can take. Not even can you say, oh, we lost a close game against a good team. You lost to a horrible team, and that is these are bad, bad losses. Um, and then Mississippi State beat Arkansas 70 to 64. Both teams unranked, but this is an upset because Arkansas could have been ranked by the end of the week after beating Kentucky on the road earlier in the week, um, but not able to close out a two and a week, actually losing. The, it, it's funny that they beat Kentucky on the road, I guess, and lost to Mississippi State at home. That's pretty much the opposite of what should have happened. San Jose State beat Utah State 69 to 64. Utah State, also a bubble team that needed a win. But speaking of teams that needed a win, uh, you can no longer call Northwestern a bubble team now that they have beaten number one Purdue 64 to 58. This team is a lock for the tournament, not because of the fact that they won this game, but because of the fact that if they, a, a team who has beaten Purdue at home, Indiana on the road, Michigan State on the road, it, it would be unfathomable for this team to finish 0 and 6 uh, in their final six games with, again, Beat Indiana on the road, beat Purdue at home. They have a home game against Indiana tomorrow, or or on Wednesday, actually, I should say. Um, There is a game against Iowa at home. There's a game against Penn State at home. They need to win just one of those games 
to get to the 10 and 10 threshold in the Big Ten, and that should be enough to make the tournament at 20 and 12 overall. There should be no way that Northwestern can't do that. And I believe that they might even get more than just one win, probably should get two or three, um, especially with how the Cats have been playing recently. But Northwestern definitely pulling off the upset of the year, beating Purdue there. I don't think anybody had that uh, going down with the way that Purdue has been playing recently and how they've been just running through the Big Ten. All right, let's move to some other upsets from last week. Uh, Miami, number 19, Miami beat Duke 81 to 59. None of these are upsets, just other important games, just bigger margins. Um, Number eight, Virginia beat number 22, NC State 63 to 50. Uh, Virginia had a pretty good week improving their resume for sure, beating probably the two of the best other three teams in the ACC. Uh, Number 21, UConn beat number 10, Marquette 87 to 72. Uh, a good week for UConn still, despite that loss to Creighton. They are really proving that maybe they finally turned the corner after a very inconsistent month or, or so for them. Uh, number 12, Kansas State beat number 17, TCU, 82 to 61. Number 23, Creighton beat Seton Hall, 75 to 62. Number one, Purdue beat Iowa, 87 to 73 at home before their loss to Northwestern. Um, number nine, Kansas hammered Oklahoma, 80, 78 to 55. And finally, North Carolina beat Clemson 91 to 71. Very important as they are kind of a bubble team. This improves their resume a lot and doesn't do very much for Clemson's resume as it continues to fall. Okay, thank you for that correction there, Patrick. As you can tell, I'm having some technical difficulties today. Good news is that's uh, that's the end of this podcast and my technical difficulties, I hope. Uh, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, February 20th, where we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions. And no football, so we will have our weekly look back at NBA and college basketball action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be updated on Tuesday, and Patrick's picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.